0: Tom is 19, Nancy 17, and Hank 21. They had a good time for a while, but now they're missing. It all started as innocent fun. The van, the drinking, the turn-ons, until they crossed the county line. is that guy he was carrying something did you see that it's lucky i
1: saw anything at all thanks for telling me nance
2: there's something creepy about that guy
0: i got a look at his face he was grinning even when it looked like you were gonna hit him tom i swear he had this strange look on his face i thought i saw shoes sticking out from under
2: that blanket
0: nah he was just a big farmer with a bundle your mind's playing tricks on you, girl you're all shook up As soon as we find a good campsite, we'll smoke some of this good hash and loosen you up.
2: from Friday the 13th, Part 2, and Girls' Night Out. And you're listening to The Hysteria Continues.
3: And indeed you are. Welcome back to The Hysteria Continues. Uh, this episode is 280. And um, we are... Yeah, I can, well, I'm trying to explain this, basically. We're recording a little bit out of whack. So we're actually recording this before the Your Next episode so, just mentioning that in case anyone uh, does send in any feedback, and we don't read it out, it's just because um, we are recording out of whack. And we are also—we're not joined today by Nathan, um, but he will be back for the next episode, and hopefully tell us what he thought about Midnight. Um, but the I am next joined-
1: episode being the previous episode. Yes, the next episode
3: being your next, which is the previous. We're doing episode, a lot so- of
4: whacking off over here. Are you? <laughs> yes. <laughs>
3: Well, it's a good job. It's not a video cast. but um, so uh, anyway, um, how are you Nance? I mean Eric.
2: You're on your
1: own. I'm on my own. You're all I'm all alone. And that was the new single by Susie and the Banshees. <laughs>
3: well, actually, I do have some interesting trivia on where that song came from and who recorded it. So you um, have to wait for the, uh, the, the background section of the
1: show. But um, Eric, I understand we have a new fan. We do. So uh, my flatmate had a significant birthday. Well, it's tomorrow. But last night we went out for a meal with family and friends and one of her nieces, uh, said that she loves the podcast. So hello, Annie Brennan, if you were listening to uh, this episode of Midnight. And thank you for your kind words last night. I was really chuffed.
3: Ah, well, wow. That's, uh, that is uh, something. So thank you, Annie. Is it Annie Brennan or is it... Is Annie, that her? Annie Brennan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you, Annie Brennan. So I uh, hope you enjoy this episode as well. So, uh, and Joseph, how are you doing?
4: I'm all alone. Um... But my joke is not as phony as Eric's because I don't have the sound clips at the ready You're on your own. Thank you Eric
3: that earworm which um, is uh, is uh, kind of I, that's one, it was one of my favorites when I did that Saturday night cleaver compilation of slash the movie music and clips sound clips uh, that is always one of my favorites on there and of course if you that's that's on YouTube now so if you want to search for that if you want to hear the whole thing. But, yeah, John a. Or John a. Russo or just John Russo's Midnight from 19, well, released in 1982. Uh, we'll talk about when it was filmed, uh, when we get to it. But, yeah, that's our feature presentation coming up a little bit later. Um, and as we're recording a bit out of whack, I'm not sure how much
1: recently seen we're going to have. But I shall head over to Eric first and see what you've been watching. Okay, well, the only thing I've seen this week is uh, 88 Films have just brought out a new 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray of House on the Edge of the Park. Now, I don't have a 4K setup, so... but. Thankfully, they have a regular sort of Blu-ray tucked into the box as well. Uh, So this is the Ruggiero uh, Diodato film from, is it 1980, 1979? Um, It's kind of like a home invasion type film with David Hess uh, and uh, John Morgan uh, as these sort of two uh, low lives who invite themselves to this uh, plush um, upper class party in this big mansion. And uh, they start doing uh, terrible things to the people at the party, like rape and slicing them up and beating them up. But there's a twist in the tale that is quite outlandish but uh, kind of fun as well for a film that's kind of depressing. It wouldn't be my favourite film in the world, but the reason I picked it up is that there's tons of extras. There's two audio commentaries, lots of um, interviews with people associated with the film. Uh, So, and it has a lovely booklet and poster uh, tucked in there as well. So it's a nice uh, DVD release for a film. As I said, I wouldn't be a huge fan of it, but... um, the extras are sort of what enticed me to it. Uh, have you seen House on the Edge of the Park, Justin? It was a video nasty, I think, wasn't it? It was, yeah.
3: I have seen it many, many years ago. So when I was trying to do that thing like many do, that kind of rites of passage, is trying to watch all the video nasties probably well over 20 years ago. So I don't think it, I've seen it since. But um, is it kind of... It's obviously, it was a bit of a, a well, sort of a, a not a rip off. Well, it's kind of, okay, I guess not, it was a, a not reimagining, but a, I guess a rip off of um, The House on the Left, isn't it? It's, it's not last the same house setup, on the left. but it's, Last House on the Left, sorry. Yeah, it's not the same setup exactly, but it's, um, I mean, there were so many of those Italian ones, wasn't there? The Last House on the Beach, um, Don't Ride Late Night yeah. Trains, all of those kind of movies were very much sort of um, riffing off The Last House on the Left. And I yeah. think this is kind of one of the later ones, wasn't it?
1: It has that vibe running through it of of Last House on the left. As you said, the setup's slightly different, but the payoff is kind of mm. similar. But, um, yeah. yeah,
3: It'll be interesting to see, I mean, when I finally get, you know, I won't go into the... Um, I've got a 4K Blu-ray player coming when I finally get my PS5 back from repair. Um, and I've got one or two 4K discs which i not being able to play. But I'm kind of curious to see how 4K... Uh, old you know films look on on uh, mm. on a player because i I saw that um I mean the 88 are doing great work and bringing great stuff and I saw burial ground was coming out in 4k relatively soon or it's been announced and uh, a lot of these films um are kind of quite grainy you know like the original Friday the 13th it's kind of their, they the part of the charm is that kind of graininess to them so I just, I'm just curious about how
1: much the, the 4K actually adds to the film. Um, yeah, my, the impression I get is it, it adds a lot to newer films, but older films, I, I just can't imagine. Now, I, I don't have a 4K setup as I said, so I have no way to test this theory. But I can't imagine they'd look too different in 4K to regular Blu-ray.
3: No, because my TV kind of upscales stuff. Even uh, DVDs don't look too bad on it, and um, Blu-rays look great. So I, I it's got it's 4K c- capable, but I, yeah, I'm just, I'd just be curious to see. But anyway, I'll was, I was sure f- feedback when I, or well, if I ever get my PlayStation Five back. But uh, Joseph, is is the last? Um, sorry, the um, um, what's it called again? House on the edge of the park. House on the edge of the park, of course. Have you ever caught that one?
4: Yeah, it's been a long time. I. Is there like disco music in this?
1: Yeah, there's like lots of dancing at this party before things go south. Yeah, goes I, remember,
4: out. I remember that stuff more than I remember all the, the heinous stuff because I kind of blocked it out of my memory. But yeah, I haven't seen it in a while.
3: And of course, we we interviewed John um, Morgan or Giovanni Lombardo. Giovanni my, Lombardo Radice. That's the one. Gosh, God, my brain is... Ago, wow. Long time ago. Long time ago for, was it stage fright episode? Yep, episode 14. Blimey, oh. okay. Well, you're an encyclopedia, Joseph. <laughs> he is, he is. Um, I'm getting very tongue-tied today, but I I am kind of Facebook friends with him for whatever, for what that's worth. But, I, but he posted today, because obviously in these movies, like Campbell Ferox and, and this movie and the various others, where he plays the real kind of scumbag kind of characters, but he's completely different. And today he posted a picture of him, Pushing his um, his older-looking dog around the supermarket buying groceries, so complete uh, completely different to the characters he played in those those movies. But uh, yeah, well, thanks. Uh, you know, let us know what the extras are like, Eric. Will do. Always like a nice package. Yes. So um, <laughs> so is that everything? That's everything I've seen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Okay, and Joseph, how about you?
4: Uh, well, I if I time travel back and ask my past self if he's watched anything he'll probably tell me no and i'll have the same answer so it's all very confusing but i don't have anything well
3: no problem at all i was kind of i'm curious um i haven't gone see it but our cinema which would now we have a cinema now we've moved we have a cinema like two minutes walk away which is fantastic but and they quite often do uh, my spanish is kind of passable enough to probably watch a film in spanish now but i I can. it's they do sometimes show films like once a week they show uh one of the films in in english in original language with spanish subtitles and there's the film missing is going to be on there this week next week uh have you, have you guys seen that yeah is that kind of like a new sort of um sort of like a facebooky type you know those kind of unfriended style thrillers
4: I, yeah, from what I heard, it's sort of like that where someone you, might use social media or a computer to find someone. I could mm-hmm. be mistaken with another film. I think there's more than a couple of them out there. There was a uh, searching with a uh, John Cho, and then you have the um, uh, the unfriended films, like you said. But there's so many of them, so mm-hmm. I could be confused. But I've heard something about it, but you okay. know, well, not too familiar.
3: Well, if I get to see it, well, it won't be on last week, last well, next week's, last week's, whatever episode. It will be mm. in a future episode. <laughs> so, okay. yeah. but um, um, I, I just
1: see on I just see on IMDb uh, Joseph that missing is a standalone sequel to Searching. Apparently,
4: okay, yeah, that's where I'm remembering that from. Mm, then, okay, mm. I've seen Searching. It's pretty good. If this is anything like that, then yeah, it, it will probably be entertaining to go see at the films uh, at the cinema. So. Cool,
3: okay, well I shall let you know if I get a chance or if it comes on in the original language So, um, and talking of 88 films, our friends uh, 88 films I watched for the inaugural um, uh, sort of a big screen uh, sort of projector uh, showing our, a new house because um, we've got a, a big room with a big white wall and everything, so the projector looks great on that and what else could I choose than uh, 1980s Contamination the Luigi Cosi movie. <laughs> what else? Movie. Yeah. What else? <laughs> so, um, the uh, Italian uh, early, well, the 1980 ripoff of the Alien franchise, which with Ian McCulloch, not of Echo and the Bunny Men, but a zombie flesh eater's fame, uh, is along for the ride. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of kind of lo fi uh, Italian, sort of pretending to be American, good fun. So, uh, I'm sure that's
1: one. Did
3: we, Have we covered that on Patreon? I don't know if we have. I don't think so.
1: It has one of my favourite lines of dialogue in a film, which is where "Help, help!" There's an egg in here,
2: <laughs> which I think is a great line of dialogue. Yes, yeah.
1: that's that's a, the great sequence. Is that the one where she's kind
3: of like they all all the, in the characters? Happen, they all happen to stay like within two doors of each other, and they're yeah. just kind of half the film is them walking past each other's doors and looking at the yeah. knobs, <laughs> the doorknobs, I should say. Yes, um, but uh, yes. So, uh, and uh, you've seen Contamination, Joseph.
4: Uh yeah, I have seen Contamination and um I should mention that contamination will be picked on Patreon. Uh not well, I guess sorta of soon. It is a listener pick, so it's coming.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Love that movie. Good stuff. Spoiler alert, I love that movie. <laughs> well,
3: let's see if you love this movie, uh, Eric. We are gonna be this is coming onto our feature presentation. So here is the trailer. For uh, midnight, if I can find the right button. Here we go.
4: Hold it, there, fellas! Don't you make any foolish moves.
0: Keep your hands visible. You reach for anything inside that bag, and I won't wait to see what you're reaching for. I'll just shoot. Maybe we'll drag them out in the woods one at a time. Question them separately. Good idea. <laughs>
4: People found dead around here, just in the past couple of years since I came here to preach. Some look like accidents, some obviously
0: murdered. It's alright, hey, right. Take your boy along here. Get the road and watch right. I'm looking on you, Black woman. Which one of you owns this van? I do. Okay, take your six-pack, get in a van, get out of town, now. You heard the man. Come, come on, on, let's go, let's go. go. We don't need your count around we'll here. You. Hank, hey, here. your white trash. Let's go. They should have known better when they came into town. Every sign pointed to what could happen there. Every indication told them to leave now. The wise guys in the bar, the preacher's warning, and the sheriff who made hate a way of life. Go, get out of town. We don't want your kind here. But they stayed. They stayed and it became too late to leave. Too late as the clock approached midnight. Midnight. Now the book from the co-author of Night of the Living Dead comes to life on the screen. Don't miss John Russo's Midnight.
4: What was it called again? God, I love that trailer. It's so awesome.
3: I've got another great little trailer to play a little bit later just to show uh, the different ways it was promoted. But um, a short synopsis, Stolen As Ever, from IMDb. Uh, was a young woman fleeing her sexually abusive stepfather hitches a ride with two young men. But the three soon find themselves at the mercy of a backwards satanic cult. Um, When I reviewed this movie on Hysteria Lives, I called it like a bit of a potpourri um, or a kind of grab bag of popular horror genres, uh, which it very much is. It is kind of, it's not an out-and-out slasher movie, uh, to be fair, but there are elements in it. Very there, well. There's there's certain passages in it, including um, when a fat, giggling, um, a backwards killer in in a kind of uh, dungarees uh, breaks into a house and chases somebody around with a machete. It is in absolutely the, the slasher movie. You know, it completely is completely slasher movie. But it also has all sorts of elements kind of cribbed from other movies um the satanic backwards cult is kind of i kind of guess cribbed from films like ride with the sorry race with the devil um you've also got um the uh you've got the whole thing of people going into uh crossing county lines and running uh, afoul of the law which of course films like shallow grave from 1987 and a whole load of uh, 70s exploitation movies uh, like uh, the Macon County line. I can't remember the whole name of that one. But anyway, the, all of those films, it kind of cribs from there. And, of course, it cribs very much from uh, Night of the Living Dead, although there aren't any zombies in this. Um, but uh, John Russo, of course, worked with George a. Romero before they kind of famously fell out. Um, but this film shares elements um, uh, from, I mean, everything from... From having scenes in a graveyard to uh, burning bodies, um, to but most uh, significantly and I guess progressively uh, is the uh, similarly to Night of the Living Dead, which of course had famously had the the first kind of black protagonist in a horror movie. Um, this movie features a number of black uh, actors um, in in significant roles. Although having said that, they do all die horribly, but they, that is kind of um, some kind of progression, I kind of guess. Um, so it's it's for me, it's I, I. It's a movie that I it's it's eared You know, it's not. It's certainly not. Um, a lot of people watch it and just think it's kind of a cheap pile of rubbish or a cheap pile of trash. I mean, and I can <laughs> see where they're coming from. <laughs> I'm not. I don't agree with it personally. I think it's got it bundles a charm. It's a bit incoherent, but having said that, it's also quite clever. There's kind of there's quite a few kind of sleight of hand moments going on in this. Um, one of my favourites is right at the beginning when it starts with what you presume are kind of religious zealots, which turn out to be religious zealots, but uh, chasing down this young girl, which they accuse of being a demon, and they have this kind of mother and her children, and they kill. She gets them to kill this girl because she's a demon bizarrely it turns out that they're not kind of religious christian fanatics but they're satanists um but quite why they want to kill the girl for being a demon is is never really explained but there's also some other clever sleight of hands including um can switcheroo's um with characters that you think are one thing but turn out to be something else completely in the case of this movie where two of these the family members have killed some cops and uh Uh, Wear the uniforms and uh, pass themselves off as cops. So there's kind of quite a few clever things going on here. And of course, it's based off the, um, the, in inverted commas, because it said in all the advertising of this movie, the best selling novel by John A. Russo. Um, Got a fair bit of background on this one. Um, I kind of, you know, there's a lot of fun to be had. It's kind of, it's, you know, it's a bit incoherent, it's a bit jumbled. um, uh, And the low budget uh, shines through more than once. Having said that, it's a film I could watch over and over. I think it's got it's got oodles of charm. Uh, it's got that early 80s feel. Um, it's one of those kind of slasher movies or horror movies that have that kind of chilliness of that early 80s where everything has still got that 70s beige to it, which in this is exacerbated by the fact that it's shot around Pittsburgh in the winter time so everything is looks cold it's not snowy it's not a christmas movie but everything is is grays and beiges and browns uh everything looks freezing cold everyone's in puffer jackets and so it has that kind of that feel of like blood beats or um you know any of those movies of the films i mean he knows you're alone all those fil- films uh, filmed around the autumn fall time and through the winter Uh, and it has that kind of it does that early 80s kind of uh, look that I love so yeah it's not a perfect movie by any stretch and again it could be a stretch to call it a slash movie because as I mentioned it's a movie that kind of is a grab bag of all sorts of horror genres Uh, and we'll talk about how the movie was sold or missold to audiences uh, coming up but uh,
1: but I'm curious to see what you guys thought of it Eric was this your
3: first time watch for Midnight?
1: Uh, No, but I hadn't watched it in a long time, so I couldn't really remember a huge amount about it. I have the... um DVD from Arrow Video that came out in 2011 I think it's, yeah, 2011 so I'd watched it around then and this is my first time watching it again, now I was messaging you when I as I was watching it during the week saying, is this really a slasher movie? Because it was an hour in and it, it seemed to be a very sort of different type it didn't even seem to be a horror movie sort of an hour in, um, yeah so as you said, a strange mishmash, now I, I didn't get the vibe that this was an early a really typical early 80s movie to the, me this felt early 70s which was really odd because um, I know you said, you have some info on, on when it was shot, but it feels like it was made in 1972 to me. It has that real regional horror grindhouse feel. Um, you know, the first hour of it, I thought, you know, it, it felt like a companion piece to something like Axe, which we covered last year. Not, you know, it, it's certainly a, a more um, vibrant movie than Axe, but it had that kind of vibe to it, I thought, that sort of, 70s grindhouse feel and um, and you know the first hour was was very much like kidnapped co-ed that type of film which is why i was questioning you know is this really a slasher movie um, i thought the acting was quite stilted in places uh, particularly when it comes to the reverend and his daughter, uh, which kind of added to that, you know, that Axe-style vibe that the film was giving me. And it was quite slow, but it, it and it had a lot really long takes, but I, I did kind of enjoy it. Um, you know, the soundtrack is limited also. there There's minimal use of score, but, uh, you know, that one song that we have been playing already that keeps cropping up throughout the film, well, certainly through the first half. Um, you know, so... I, I wouldn't be a, a huge fan of the film. I do, I did find it, uh, as you said, it had charm uh, and I thought the first two thirds of the movie for me were ironically better than the, the f- final sort of 20 minutes where it becomes much more of a horror film. I thought the sort of Nancy, Tom and Hank in the van travelling to Florida was kind of, strangely was kind of fun even though nothing really happens. Um, uh, I thought the scene where the corrupt cops catch up with them um, had a degree of tension to it, but uh, I have no idea why Nancy feels the need to scream and run when she's witnessing them killing her two new friends, whereas if she'd kept silent and stayed behind the tree, she could have um, avoided all of the horror in the second half of the film, I think. Um, the other big, f- uh, you know, tentpole horror film that I think has influenced this is obviously Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, with sort of these people being captured by this um, insane family and kept in cages, and... Um. Obviously, they're not cannibals this time, but they're they're satanists, which uh, is almost as bad. Um. And the elements that are supposed to be intense, I suppose, in the second half of the film, feel kind of humdrum to me. My interest was wandering in those that second half where it was people in cages and um, you know, trying to escape and getting captured and all that type of thing. Uh, so it's it's just weird that I found the first half more engaging than the second half. Um yeah, so as you said it's a mashup, it's kind of a hitchhiker movie, it's a grindhouse movie, it's a Texas chainsaw massacre movie uh from 1982 but feels to me like 1972. Um the best I can say is that there's a, a real endearing time capsule element to the film. It's 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 very much of its time. It's really dated looking but in the best possible way. Um but it's probably for me, maybe a bit too slow in places, and the lacking in scares. Um, b- but I've seen plenty worse, and you know I can see myself revisiting Midnight again in a couple of years' time. It wouldn't be one I'd be, you know, projecting on the wall for my friends at a party or anything. Um, but yeah, so it's a middling movie to me.
3: Okay, well, thank you,
1: Eric, and but you, of course, did you did you like the song? Um. No, I would have preferred an old bit of Toya now, to be honest. Mm, well, yes.
3: I don't well, they probably could. I was gonna say they I was gonna say they couldn't afford her, but they probably could. <gasps> so Joseph, uh, what are your thoughts on Midnight?
4: Yeah. Wow, Midnight. Um this is the type of movie that kind of begets a shower. For me, um, I think the plot, like Eric says, the plot itself. Does feel very seventies with the you know the wayward teen going to a farmhouse or whatever, but I think like just in the look and tone, you know, it feels very late seventies or early eighties with that where the beige is kind of crossing over into the kind of more vibrant colors. It's like right before that, um, but I mean we also have the Nancy character who's this confused uh, teenager and she's played by the oldest actress uh, possible, and she's dealing with a drunk stepfather played by Lawrence Tierney who. He he seems intent on raping her despite his um you know the alcohol uh you know hindering him he's he seems well intent on raping her and he gets close but she she hilariously knocks him unconscious with a radio in a in the in the scene uh, in the film's one of its earliest funny scenes to me like she barely conks him with it and he's just like ugh and he like leans over like completely passed out um, and she decides to hitchhike with these two well-meaning outlaws. Um, I, I guess they're the lesser of two evils so far, but it's not exactly a step up for her. Um, I think their bugaboo is that they've been kind of looting grocery stores to survive, but they seem to have enough money for beer and good hash, as it were. But um, yeah, she she completes the little girl in trouble trifecta when the, the two outlaws are killed by uh, the, the backwoods group of Satanists and, uh, you know, who proceed to terrorize her, not unlike Sally in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And then we have also got that loudish stepfather who's sobered up, you know, long enough to search for her. And geez, I mean, talk about Sophie's choice. You know, having the main character trapped in this never-ending pit of despair, it should make for a a dour experience. And one of those colors that you guys mentioned, you, you would think this film would be dour, but I think Midnight, for me, skates toward a recommendation Because it's all played out like some of the goofier slasher films from the time. I mean, I'm not even sure I would call Midnight a slasher film, but it walks and talks just like one. And it has some hilarious line readings. And I love the early scene in the van where the the two outlaw characters, they're narrating Nancy dealing with this nearby pervert. They're like, oh, my God, she's talking to someone else. Oh, my God, I don't think she likes that guy. Oh, my God, we should go pick her up. I love the line readings like that. They're just just so hilarious to me. I mean, you've also got that amazing, I don't care what Eric says, that amazing theme song that plays more often than not. And I'm going to wait because I'm waiting on Eric to play it. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) (laughs) wow i set myself up for that one didn't i uh the film i think finally tips its hat more towards the the kind of typical slasher movie thrills i guess in its final 15 minutes but for me i i kind of like the build-up a lot more um i don't know i just think it was this kind of right time right place amalgamation of elements like justin said that i think gives the film more charm than it should you know be allowed with the you know, certainly with the ringer, it puts its lead character through. But um, I, guess, uh, I guess I'm guess i saying it works in spite of itself. So thumbs up for me. I mean, it's both cheesy and sleazy all at once. And I really can't ask for much more from a film from 1982. So, yeah, thumbs up. Excellent.
3: Well, thank you. I mean, did you think, I mean, that scene with the, the pastor and his daughter uh, who live in the house next to the cemetery, but look of it. Um, that 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 is pure slasher movie, isn't it? In that those yeah. fifteen minutes are like it could have been lifted from any slasher movie at the time. So it's kind of that's why I think John Russo was kind of looking um, around at all the different thing, you know, elements. Is say because it's interesting the way the film was sold because one of the posters sells it like one of those uh, teens sort of accidentally stumble into the wrong county and get persecuted by the police. And then there's the other poster with the uh, with the zombie, um, the ghoul drinking from a, a, a goblet of presumably blood, um, which misleads the audience into thinking it's a zombie movie, which, of course, I can understand why they did that, because obviously his association with Knights of the Living Dead. And there was a scene in the movie where um, you've got the comparisons to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, although, interestingly, John A. Russo says that he never saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which I find difficult to believe, given some of the other things I dug up about it. But he claims he'd never seen that movie. Um, again, I find it difficult to be, But it does, it does have that, also that, that kind of comparison with Psycho, doesn't it? With the mother, who's kind of the mummified corpse of the mother that the, the children are kind of worshipping. And at one point, they're, they're decapitating and um, draining the blood of all these people to, to kind of basically make the, the desiccated corpse of their mother drink the blood to bring
1: her eternal life. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's totally Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm, mm. Well, the blur I'm looking at the, the the DVD sleeve I have here is that image of the kind of zombie holding the goblet, and the tagline is "When the dead drink the blood of the living." So it is totally selling it as a zombie movie.
4: Yeah, the cover I always remember was the um, Vidmark label with the girl on the the blades. That are kind of like the clock hands, right. and she's naked. Yeah, yeah that's totally. It that screams totally slasher. So I always saw that at the videos tour, and you know that, you know, it's screaming slasher. Me made, made me think the film was a slasher film when, when honestly, it's barely kind of a slasher film.
3: Well, it's it's interesting that they say the two theatrical posts I've seen. One, I or the ad, the newspaper adverts. The one is that the kind of zombie fight. Uh, the drawn image of this kind of ghoul drinking from a goblet of blood. but the other one is of um, uh, kind of predating almost the Blair Witch some of the Blair Witch promotional posters where it has like a missing poster and has the three images of Nancy, Hank and the other guy um, and their ages and their names underneath it and below that is the the picture of the <clears throat> the fake policeman with the, the big kind of pawn stash. What do you call yeah. those? Eric will know what those are called. <laughs> handlebar moustache. Is it handlebar moustache? It's like Is a big hors- sure. horseshoe, isn't it? Kind of yeah. moustache. But yeah. anyway, given a lot of moustache rides, you should know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so that one very much sells it more of as a kind of again that kind of thriller along the lines of films that became you know that we've you know we talked about the um, uh, the shallow grave and the, the Macon County Line movie. i forget. And There's quite a few other ones in the 70s which again is very much a 70s standard um there were a lot of those uh kind of women in prison sort of style movies that came out in the early 70s uh that started with that kind of whole kind of concept of being wrongly imprisoned by corrupt sheriffs and all those kind of things um and i should have looked a few num- names up but um the uh but uh, but interestingly when it was sold so it was sold as that and also sold as a horror movie and just to show how much of a horror movie was sold out. I've got this fantastic TV spot that I came across just to show it displays any 30
0: seconds. Now, the hour of horror approaches and the terror begins at midnight. Midnight, when the dead drink the blood of the living. Midnight, by the co author of Night of the Living Dead. Now, don't miss John Russo's Midnight. Rated R, under 17 not admitted without parent if you have a weak stomach don't come
3: yes don't come eric if you have a weak stomach <laughs> i'll do my I got a i'll weak do stomach, my best uh,
4: that's probably the last thing on my mind right now <laughs>
3: <laughs> but uh, talking <laughs> talking of weak stomachs and what they're um, what they're doing with it is that, of course this movie features the special effects of tom savini who uh, apparently according to some trivia i've seen turned down friday the 13th part two to make this movie but didn't he turn down friday the 13th
1: part two to do the burning
3: well yes that's what i thought so i i, mm, I don't know is the honest answer um that's one of the th- trivias i saw but i did see that i seemed it's for whatever reason he got involved in this movie obviously because his association with george A. romero and doing the special effects for dawn of the dead um, so, but uh, and famously, this movie was cut quite a lot before it's um, it was released. It got some trouble with the this uh, the, the for, uh, with the MPAA for an R rating. But I mean, what were your impressions of the Tom Savini special effects in this movie? What was left of them?
1: Well the only real special effects were maybe the that uh, brief decapitation scene and uh that girl getting her throat cut and the blood pouring into the I suppose he probably did maybe maybe did the the makeup effects for the desiccated mother as well but I mean they they don't scream Tom Savini to me personally cuz he you know his his I think his his work around this time would be a cut above what would we see in Midnight? So it doesn't strike me as being a Tom Savini effects showcase, if I'm honest. No, because I mean, if you look
3: at some of the other uh,
1: films he's making, like
3: Eyes of a Stranger, um, and when Warner Brothers accidentally released it uncut in Canada, I think it was the DVD I've got, and I think it's possibly being re-released uncut now. And the special effects were pretty splashy. And I do wonder if there was more to it that were just cut out or they just got, they paid him to come in to do a couple of days' work on something. Having said that, Tom Savini's not shy about coming forward, is he? And, you know, about saying if people claim that he worked on a movie, he didn't, or to clarify how much work he did. I mean, infamously, the whole hoo-ha about whether or not he did special effects on Nightmares and the Damaged Brain, which um, were much more spectacular than this movie. You know, they were sort of. Having said that, this movie had a budget which probably would buy uh, tea and buns for the average uh, Hollywood blockbuster for a day, I would imagine. So, so, um,
1: so, but anyway, well, let's talk a little bit about some background. So Eric, do you have anything for us? Uh, yeah, I do. But I just want to mention, uh, there's one scene in the film where uh, they shoplift from this grocery store, but it it shows them one moment um, putting the groceries on beside the till as if they're going to pay for them. And then the next second they're running out with the grocery bags. It's like, why didn't they just fill up a trolley and just run? Why do they bother going to the checkout at all?
4: Maybe they were playing mind games with the clerk. But why does also why does one
3: character think there's a hyena in the woods of Pittsburgh, outside Pittsburgh? Do oh. you remember the scene when he's it's like the giggling loon is yes. out there and he thinks is that a hyena? Although it, which kind of kind of rivals that that scene in um, in uh, Night of the Demon
1: when they think an elephant might have taken their boat. <laughs> oh yeah, um, and also the other thing I want to point out before we go is um, onto background is. Was that the world's worst frisbee thrower we saw in this film? (laughs) But they they do a fantastic throw, don't they, when it goes behind the shed? Yeah, but other than
3: that, it's a bit pants. (laughs) They're they're terrible. The other, actually, before we go to background, one thing I just want to ask is only in... uh, I I can definitely see where you're coming from with the 70s grindhouse feel to it, because it definitely feels like it has that. Um, uh, But uh, it's... it's just kind of um it's it's strange that whole that it has that thing with the Lawrence Tierney character who is this would-be molester of his stepdaughter um and then he becomes her
1: savior at the end yeah I know I, I that struck me as being kind of kind of odd and very off-kilter as well yeah well, I've
4: got a little bit of background on that. Particular, I mean, how it pertains to the the way his character is ended in the film. So I I read this on Instagram, but we'll get to that. Okay, okay. Well, Eric, do you
1: what background do you have for us, and then we'll come to Joseph? There's a booklet with my uh, DVD written by Stephen Thrower. Uh, actually, the cover of the booklet has that poster art you were mentioning, Justin, of where it makes it look like it's uh, a missing poster. Um, but inside I've got some trivia from that. It said it started life in 1977 as a script called The Congregation and then that was novelized by John Russo uh, under the title of Midnight and published in 1980. The film was shot with a crew of three people for most of it, uh, and shot for $70,000 in the countryside northwest of Pittsburgh between March and October of 1980, and it was filmed under the title The Backwoods Massacre. Um, Lachelle Carl, who plays the Reverend's daughter, Sandra, um, she actually went on to have a career. She's an American actress based in England and she's been in lots of Doctor Who episodes, but she's also the voice of Muck, on the US dub of Bob the Builder So Muck is a red dump truck In Bob the Builder And she's the voice of the uh, American version So yeah, there we go From humble beginnings She was also, I
3: saw, she was in the uh, episode, of The Wednesday the, the the big Netflix series
1: With Jenny Ortega Oh, the recent one, alright, yeah. cool um, Great to see that You know <laughs> You wouldn't have imagined she'd have a career <laughs> no. after watching this film yeah no. <laughs> um, so, Sam Sherman picked up the film for distribution via his company, Inter- Independent International Pictures, uh, but he asked them to reshoot the ending to make it less depressing and kind of more action-oriented. Uh, so, um, Tom Savini, who is alleged to have done the effects in this, was busy on Knight Riders at the time of the reshoots. So, Russo himself did the effects for any of the reshoots at the end. Um It was released in May of 1982, but then re-released in 1985 under the alternate title The Backwoods Massacre, which was its shooting title. Um, uh, In 1985, John Russo uh, saw his novel Return of the Living Dead, adapted into a film, of course, directed by Dan O'Bannon. Apparently, Russo's um, novel is quite different to O'Bannon's film. So... Um, After the film came out, Russo then novelized O'Bannon's script of Return of the Living Dead. So he has two books called Return of the Living Dead, which I imagine are, have some kind of overlapping similarities, but were probably very tonally different. I haven't read either, either of them. Um, he also adapted his book, The Majorettes, into a screenplay. I, I, it's a film I still haven't seen. Is it any good? It's a very strange movie because it starts off... It's
4: kind of like this one. I mean, it starts off one way and ends up another. Yeah.
3: It starts off as a slasher movie and then it turns into an action movie.
1: Well, it was directed by Bill Hinsman, or Hinesman, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, who was one of the actors in in Night of the Living Dead. He was the cemetery zombie at the start, but he was also the stills photographer on Midnight. Um, So that is all I have, Justin. Okay. Well, thank you, Eric. Uh, Joseph, how about you?
4: Well, I'm kind of going off memory on this because I can't seem to find where I read this, but um, I, I've not read the novel, which this film is based on. But apparently in the novel, um, Lawrence Tierney's character sees Nancy die, and you think he's going to rescue her, but the whole time he just wanted to make sure she dies so he gets away with his uh, his, <gasps> his, his, his secret. <gasps> um Apparently that's what happens. I could be wrong, but um, I read the reason why they changed it was because they wanted, um, well, they wanted a more upbeat ending because they thought it would get them an R rating. But they got slapped with the X rating by the uh, the censors anyway, so it didn't really matter if they changed the ending or not. But I'm I'm kind of glad they did. Um, if he would have gotten away with it, I would have been really pissed off, probably like Nathan level pissed off because his character's so gross. But, um, speaking of Lawrence Tierney, I mean, he's kind of well known for playing those gruff types and he was rumored, well, I mean, rumored, it's kind of legendary, actually, he's, he was, um, you know, said to be quite the intimidating presence in real life, uh, you know, nothing to the extent of his midnight characters' crimes, I don't think, at least not fully, <clears throat> we'll get to that, but, um. There was an incident when he guest starred on an early episode of Seinfeld as the father of the Elaine character and the cast and crew liked the character and how he played it. But he legitimately frightened them to the point where it was ultimately decided, you know, it would be in everyone's best interest if he weren't brought back uh, to guest star. Apparently, they found out that he stole a kitchen knife from the uh, Jerry's apartment set. And uh, when Seinfeld asked uh, Tierney about the theft, uh, Tierney attempted to play it off as a big joke and began comically kind of reenacting the uh, psycho shower scene with uh, Jerry Seinfeld kind of fearing for his own safety. Um, he also apparently terrorized the crew on The Simpsons when he did a one-and-done guest spot on one of their Christmas episodes. Um, He insisted uh, reading his lines in a southern accent for some reason, which they had to talk him out of. And he also insisted that certain jokes be rewritten with other characters in the scenes, even though it would kill the joke. So they basically had to kowtow to him and do line reads while he recorded his bits. And then they had to kind of edit those bits out later. And it cost him a lot of money and time. And apparently when he uh, arrived at the set of The Simpsons um, to do line reads, and this is what I alluded to earlier, he hit on the uh, casting director the minute he arrived for the line reads. And uh, possibly in an overt manner, it didn't really say, but he also didn't like one of The Simpsons writers because he said he dressed like a baseball player. I don't, whatever that means, I don't know. But Julia Louise Dreyfus um, from Seinfeld, she stated later that... Uh, uh, in an interview that he was a quote-unquote total nut job. So, yeah, a little background on Lawrence Tierney there. I tried to find anything that might hint at his behavior on the set of Midnight, but I couldn't really find anything. But I can I can only imagine and be thankful that, you know, he didn't do anything to that poor, poor Nancy or the actress who plays her in real life. I'm hoping that she, you know, she made it out unscathed. But um, that's all the background I have on the film, specifically Lawrence Tierney. Wasn't Lawrence Tierney also in The
1: Prowler? He was. Was He was in The Prowler. He was,
4: yeah. yeah. He was in Silver Bullet as well.
1: And also he
3: was in uh, Joe Zito's earlier slash movie, Blood Rage, which I've not seen. Is it Blood Rage Never Pick Up a Stranger from 79? Yeah, it's uh, Mm.
4: 1979. Yeah, it's a a decent little kind of pre-maniac type movie.
3: Yeah. So it's one I need to... to, to watch finally but uh, I I mean another face that turns up um, in this is one of the Backwoods family is played by John Amplus who um, will be familiar to anyone who's ever seen George Romero's Martin because he plays the uh, the lead character in that Uh, he's also had quite a long and illustrious uh, career Um, Melanie Verlin who played um, Nancy in the movie uh, she didn't have a long and illustrious career, so at least not at, in the, the cinema. She played uh, an animal activist in Monkey Shines in 1988, which was little more than a, a bit role. Um, her and most of the people in this were all kind of from the Pittsburgh uh, sort of theatre community, uh, including the guy, I didn't write his name down, but the guy who played the giggling fat maniac. He was uh, a kind of actor, director, who was quite well known in the in the kind of the Pittsburgh uh, theater community, which is quite normal for these kind of low budget kind of regional horror movies. Um, interestingly, as you mentioned, I think it was either Eric or Joseph mentioned. Um, I think it was you, Eric, saying that it was filmed for seventy thousand um, dollars. John Russo originally claimed it was filmed for two hundred thousand uh, dollars. Apparently, originally he was he was very he wouldn't say what the budget was, but when he did um, he did say he said in in, I found some interviews with him um, about the making this movie from local Pittsburgh Press. And he did say that um, that originally it was made for $200,000. Um, and he also said it had been made last year in 1981. But I think you're, the, the, the dates are correct for the 1980 uh, dates. Apparently it was shot over six months, which is a very long time, although that may include the reshoots. Um, because when you watch the film at the beginning, it has the 1980 in the Roman numerals date on it. So it definitely was originally done. It sat on the shelf for 18 months or so. Um, and John Russo himself said it was because of the glutter horror movies that had come out uh, in the early 80s that meant it couldn't find a distributor. So I imagine that he probably did the the thing that everyone else was trying to do, is sell it to, as a negative pickup to one of the majors, which didn't happen. So eventually, as you mentioned, it came out in um in may of 1982 uh it had um it, it didn't play its local area of pittsburgh until september of 1982 um but noted it's done good business in florida michigan ohio and tennessee um it said when they were interviewing john russo they said he looked like uh, he he said the 43 year old as he was then looked like a school teacher and it says he once was um and met uh, George a. romero at university in 1957. Um, He said originally his he wanted to, um, his original adaptation of The Majorettes for the screen fell through in 1972. It didn't get made until, was it 87, wasn't it? I think, or 86, 87. So who knows what it would originally uh, look like before. So he said it was completed in 1981. But I think that's probably just to to put off the scent that the film was already uh, a good year and a half old. Um, he said it was made with a small local crew, which literally was three people. So you can't get much smaller than that. Uh, and he said it was more. He, he said he was happy with how it turned out, um, and he'd become more interested in the genre recently. But wanted bigger budgets, uh, so he could uh, be less exploitative, in his words. Now the reason I don't necessarily believe, uh, you know, he hadn't seen *Textual Massacre*, which of course, at the time when it came out, and it was on constant re re-release um throughout the 70s and early 80s in fact the text change massacre was on a popular re-release throughout the early 80s um, uh, during the slash movie craze so for him not to seen it is is you know it would be unusual but he said um, to the interview at this time he said i've seen them all like terror train and friday the 13th and it seems like midnight has a lot more plot than any of them so um having said that um, when it finally got a review in the Pittsburgh Press, uh, they said, apart from seeing the novelty of local actors, um, uh, they said that John Russo's Midnight is a machine built to frighten people. Unfortunately, it's a machine on the fritz. Uh, It said it wasn't scary and it lacked humour. So uh, just seeing if there's anything else that I haven't uh, mentioned. Oh, of course, the, the one other thing I wanted to mention very quickly was that there was Midnight 2 that was released in 1993, also directed by John A. Russo, um, and went the Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2 route, uh, or route, as we say in England, um, to uh, to kind of incorporate lots of footage from the original movie. Now, I haven't seen Midnight 2. Um,
1: have either of you? No. No. Have you seen it, Joseph?
4: No, uh, I was under the assumption that that movie didn't exist. Uh, I thought it was a lost movie, but apparently it does exist.
3: Well, I saw it on IMDb, so I'm presuming it does, because people, there were reviews for it. So, but having said that, there were reviews for um, sort of gory graduation of Somehow Slaughter, so who knows? Um, i have to sort of uh, dig around. The, the, one, the last thing I nearly forgot to say was, of course, about that theme song. Um, and it was uh, sung by a band called One Man's Family, which, much like the Nolans, um, was made up of a, a group of sisters. In this case, four sisters, who um, were had spent who were kind of pit, known quite well uh, quite well in Pittsburgh, uh, and um, had been trying to make the big time for a number of years. But they are very outstep step sorry with the with punk and disco and all the other kind of musical um, genres that were around at the time. And said they based their their uh, singing and songwriting more on the kind of '60s uh, sound of like the Mamas and Papas, so those kind of vocal harmonies, which were kind of very out of fashion by 1980. Um, so, but one thing I found, and I I couldn't get because it's behind a paywall, uh, I, it had the fantastic t- uh, title that um, uh, it said uh, the one man's family order. It said the 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 sister's name is um freezy or something easy it's but it's an italian sounding name and it said they'd been given like you're
1: talking backwards
3: (laughs) i know i
4: know even stranger that's what i was about to say um,
3: they got um the, the headline said they'd got the mother Teresa award um i don't know what for uh probably not for for this song i imagine so i need a little bit more digging on that
4: well, Mother Teresa is not alone. She's not on her own.
3: <laughs> well, she is now. So, <laughs> oh, the last thing I was going to say, say to show how low budget it was, um, it obviously shot in and around Pittsburgh. But the black mass um, at the end was shot in the in the company's in John Rousseau's office with the, the blinds down and uh, the curtains drawn. So, you know, the magic of low budget filmmaking. So... That was midnight. So unfortunately, we can't go to, can we go to, have we even announced this movie yet at time of recording?
4: Well, we haven't done, we have done the feedback on the show, on the, on the movie or Eric's joke of the week.
3: No, but I mean, we haven't done, we, that's what I mean. Have you announced it to the Facebook group? Have there, if there's been any feedback on the movie?
4: Oh yeah, well, we've done that. We haven't. <laughs> I thought you meant announcing Eric's next next no, pick. No, no, sorry. Would actually I meant the, be... the
3: feedback on this. Yeah, yeah, this is
4: more time travel nonsense. I'm a little confused here. Yeah, but yeah, we got um we got 16 comments for Midnight. Uh, nothing negative this week. Surprisingly enough, uh, Matt Mentor says Midnight is an unusual film. It feels like it was shot in the late 90s or early 2000s. That's kind of weird there. Um, But made to look period accurate to 1982 through wardrobe and music, I love the theme song. It sounds like a Manson family jam performed by ABBA. High five for making Pittsburgh look like the bleakest backwoods scum terrain on the planet. And Merle Vava O'Kelly enthusiastically muses best theme song ever. And I agree with both of them. Yes, I agree with both of them. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date on what we're doing. Listen on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and about a billion other podcatchers, both good and bad. If you'd like to help support the show, join us on Patreon for a cavalcade of extra content, and some of it for as little as $1 per month. Um, our email address for feedback and general nonsense is the hysteria continues at gmail.com.
3: Indeed. Please do write in. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, and we just um, last week recorded our, obviously, last week, uh, time of recording, because obviously time travel, blah, 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 is we did the commentary for My Bloody Valentine, the original 1981. And we ended up talking about something completely off topic, but... Um, but we do have lots of lots of good in background info on the film. Uh, we did stay on topic most of the time, but um, Nathan came up with a, a certain product which all had us bamboozled. But you the have to tune in wipe. the comfort wipe. Yes, <laughs> you have to tune in to find out what happened with that. I still do, I yes. still can't remember
4: how we on earth we got onto that topic. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, we we'll have to listen back to find um, out. It, it shows up in the in the in the commentary. So for five dollars a month, you can hear that. Yes,
3: so, okay, and but um, we pay you $5 a month to listen to this.
2: It's my joke, we so, so fantastic.
1: Nancy was put into a cage but was told to remove her underwear first. It was a knickerless cage. It was a knickerless you're, you're, cage. Did you not get the joke, Justin? I did not get the joke. Cage, I got the joke. What's
4: the word you're substituting?
1: I don't get it. She was told to put into a... When she was put in the cage, she was told to remove her underwear first. It was uh, a knickerless cage.
4: <laughs> what's a what's a knickerless cage? I know what knickerless means. Nicol- it means she's without underwear. Nicholas Cage. the actor. You, channeling- Nic- oh, you Oh, you- oh my
3: god! I think Joseph is channeling Nathan this episode. I think he oh, is. Oh my
4: goodness, <laughs> Nicholas Cage. How did you work Nicholas Cage? Oh, shut up. Nick That's how I today. <laughs> oh, my I,
3: God. That was one of your better ones, Eric.
4: You said you had a humdinger. That's not a humdinger. How rude. In the last episode, <laughs> Nathan said, well,
1: it wouldn't have been the last episode. It was two episodes <laughs> ago. He said something about, uh, oh, no, it was on the breaking, part Patreon episode where my joke of the week was more. <laughs> I don't even remember where
4: what, what in time we are anymore. Yeah,
1: but Nathan said, oh, that joke would have made more sense if we were covering the sequel.
4: It's like I work my arse off, but nobody
1: appreciates us. But, you, you, but Eric, you He's told crying. us before we, before we came on air
3: that you hadn't hadn't come up with anything, but you did it last minute.
4: Yeah, but even my last
1: minute jokes are
4: superb. <laughs> that explains a lot. Yes.
3: So, well, mm. uh, that was Midnight Well short, done, Eric. Short well and done. sweet. But
1: um, Eric, it's your choice next time, isn't it? Well, yes, it is next time. Yes. And it's one I, th- I hope we haven't covered. Uh, 1989's Tibor Takak's m- movie I think that's how you pronounce it I Madman also known ah, as Hardcover okay. oh good choice interesting I've never I haven't it's always one I've meant
3: to see but I've never watched it
4: got Clayton Roner and um, I can't remember the Jenny, girl's name but. Uh, Jenny Wright
1: from yeah, wasn't Jenny she in um, Near Dark was it yep yeah. mm-hmm. excellent okay so what are we playing
3: out with Eric It's not your choice, but No, it's um, not my
1: choice. It's I know. I know it's my choice, choice.
3: but (laughs) but I was gonna see if you can guess. Oh, let me see.
1: Hmm. Is it that one? Or is it some song with Midnight in the title by Susie and the Banshees? Well, I was torn, but I think,
3: um, unless um, uh, Joseph wants to do uh, like a little uh, medley, but I was torn. I think we should play that with the the song by the, um, the One Man's Family uh, for the thing. And then maybe a little bit of Night Shift by Susie and the Banshees. Just for you, Eric. I'm doing outs because Susie's just about to go out on tour. To she's playing, she's playing big stadiums and festivals. So um, Toy is playing big
1: stadiums and festivals. She's playing the Rewind Festival. The, but the, re, the Rewind is full of um, washed-up has-beens. It's not. It's has it, it has Nick Kershaw and China Crisis. So
4: you're is it kind a of, Nickerless Kershaw?
1: <laughs> so you're <laughs> kind of um, you're kind of proving your point there, Eric. I'm not, and it's got Tom Bailey from the Thompson Twins.
3: Okay so uh
1: yeah and <laughs> and tony hadley from <laughs> Ballet*.
3: okay well I, I think they're quite fun those 80s revival things but they are kind of um yeah let's just put um let's see this but anyway so uh so we'll play out with those and we'll catch you next time on hysteria continues when we will be covering well i madman which new one new one for me to uh so i'm looking forward to seeing that uh uh, and, uh, yeah, well, thanks for listening and say goodbye to the good people.
1: <laughs> well
4: Did you hear it too, Eric? I
1: did, yeah. There was some kind of <laughs> Skype glitch there and you sounded like this. Say goodbye to the good
3: people. I've got sound like emo Phillips. You did a bit, yeah,
4: yeah oh. a little bit. How
3: strange! Well, it wouldn't have picked. Unfortunately, it wouldn't have picked up from on my end, as it were. No,
4: <laughs> <laughs> which is a shame. Bye, bye.
3: <laughs> All right, bye, bye.